Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Which is the title of my book, 
why is this happening to me again? Or some people will say it in a little different form. They'll say, why are they doing this to me again? Because the belief is that what's happening inside of me is all somebody else's fault. If you hold that belief, you've been taught a lie. And our culture is expert at teaching lies. Why would we have a culture that is expert at teaching lies? Teaching lies, pardon me. Well, it's pretty simple. If you can get people to believe a lie, and you can get people into enough pain, then they'll hold that there's somebody out there to call an enemy. And kings love to set the world up so that that's the way it works because then kings get to send people with guns off to kill other people and steal their property. Or in lesser terms, individuals get to murder other people with their tongues, with their fists, with their hands, with their words, and believe that they're justified. Our input from this work is that anger is never justified in any form. That anger is a dis-ease energy that literally destroys the tissue in which it is stored. Recognize that it's all an inside job and you can begin to touch the mainspring of your pain. When with the active presence of love in your mind, you touch the mainspring of your pain, your pain will begin to dissolve. Your pain will begin to disappear. You will live more and more as a true human being. And we have a pretty simple definition of a human being, of a human in this work. If you've ever held a newborn child, I invite you to go back to the moment where you held that newborn. Tap into the essence of the newborn, and you know what your human life is. If something less than human life is active in you, it's active in you because it's in you. Jeannie and I love to uh, search out films that... uh, in fact, in the new version of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, we're going to have a, uh, a movie tip uh, section that when we bring forward a point, we're going to give you the title of movies that you can go and observe that point in operation. If you haven't seen it yet, I invite you to go and see the uh, movie Papa, well, now his name is Papa Hemingway. Very, very powerful film, the story of Ernest Hemingway. And I'll do my best not to do any giveaways on it, but here's a man who obviously is genius. He wins a Nobel Prize in literature. And yet, after about his 10th drink, all he can do is tell his wife and the people around him what he believes about himself, which is what his power person, I would offer, taught him. And so here's a man who has everything to live for, has everything, including world fame, and yet when the stress is up and the chips are down, he has such a degrading conversation about himself And what a worthless, useless, and I won't use any other adjectives, he is, 
that he actually believes that about himself. And it's a, it's a really, the, the film is a powerful demonstration of a life without tools. Those who do this work, who have tools, will go and see that film, and you'll see a hundred places where Ernest Hemingway could have gone into a level of healing. If he'd had tools, he could have healed so many of these issues and not ended his life with a shotgun, which is what he ended up doing. And you can see him throughout the film degrade his body, his mind, his self-image through the use of alcohol and the destructive effect of alcohol on the mind and the body. Powerful, powerful experience and, unfortunately, all too common. What we're looking to do is to offer people who are in that posture where they have no tools, a set of tools with which to process, and our definition in this work of process is the ability to hold love conscious, active, and present when something less than love comes up. There's one particular scene in the film where this man has no relationship whatsoever to love, and he's, he's ready to end his life. And, it, and it's so powerful to see how, and we won't talk about how it happens, but how the presence of love shows up and shifts his energy. Unfortunately, and this isn't part of the film, so I'm not giving something away, but unfortunately, that was, it was a one-time event. He didn't, my take would be that he didn't understand what shifted his mind and therefore was not able to continue bringing forward the presence of love. And it was 18 months later that he used a shotgun to end his life, life without tools. So we're here to share a set of tools, not perfectly, the last almost a half a century of, of working with 35 years with the Aramaic and working with these principles and concepts overall for almost 50, we're committed to making the tools available so that when the opportunities come in a life, when rage and guilt and grief and fear and self-condemnation and self-deprecation surface, to give people the actual tools with which to move that energy out of their structures and put an end to it in their lives. So that's what we're here to do, and we're glad you're here to join us. Let's check and see if Jeannie is with us. Jeannie? I am. I apologize. Oh. I was so busy oh, no problem. cleaning up the database that time just went by. So, ah, No problem. I did the introduction, except I didn't say what day it is, because I don't know what day it is. We're in Florida. We're not doing workshops, so I don't know one day <laughs> from another. <laughs> it's Thursday, May the 19th. <laughs> Great. But um, there is a gentleman that's going to call in, but he said he had a client until 1230 and that it would be after that before he got to call in. So um, that's 1230 his time. He's uh, central time. So uh, nobody has their hand up right now and chat room's quiet. Thank you, Dr. Tim, for opening that up for me. I appreciate that. And how are you, Dr. Tim? Anything exciting happening in your world? Anything to share with us today to, to get us on the right track to recognizing who we are and how these tools can be effective in our world? Well, I, uh, I had something come up. I was listening to Guy Finley, and uh, it reminded me of when you were here in the fall of 2014 and you had a new piece of the puzzle come to you. 
and you were talking about realizing that the puzzle of life, all that can be known is something like 500 trillion trillion piece jigsaw puzzle, and mankind with all of our work, all of our science, all of our experience, has accumulated maybe 5,000 pieces of that puzzle, and we think we know what life is really like and about and 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 we know what should be happening and we know why and so I was your your insight in that time was that this thing that's called ruka de kucha this thing that's called the elemental force specific for humans that's there to break off the effects of our errors in thought and guide us to truth and happiness if we simply ask it to, that that's like the puzzle itself. And if we simply ask the puzzle, it'll help us figure out what it's really all about. It'll help us fill in the missing pieces. So I'm listening I can to feel the fiddle. energy. I, I Tim, just to, to throw a thought in, as you're talking about it, I know exactly the instant that you're talking about. And I can just tap right into the energy and the uh, excitement of that opening as it happened for both of us, because I could see it on you too. Yeah, and then I was listening to Guy Finley, and, and he has a quote in one of his talks where he says, all painful conclusions are born of an incomplete perception. It is the painful outcome of mistaking the partial for the whole. And then a wow, little bit later nice. on, yeah, a little bit later on in that talk, he says, the more tight, the more tense, the more angry or uncomfortable I am in any moment, the smaller the picture I am seeing of life. My picture gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I see fewer and fewer pieces of the whole picture, and I think those pieces are all there is. So I just thought I'd right throw on. that open for you to to reflect on because I I know you would remember that opening that you had back in the fall of 2014 and the image you got where it was just this knowing impression that you had to try and put some words on. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I mean, that's such an awesome way to say it and relating it back to that day and that particular idea that we were bringing forward and you know the difference between and 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 we live in a culture and it kind of ties into the introduction in a sense because we live in a culture that ties to stuff us into a nine-bit mind you know there's some interesting harvard research we refer to often where uh they they recognize that in a time frame where there are 10,000 brain cells firing 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening in the brain each one of them uh would be a potential contribution to perception that the max that can go into our perceptual structure is nine bits. And so of necessity, tying right into what he says, we're living in partial perception with that nine bit mind, but we're not designed to live in a nine bit mind. We're designed to have a nine bit mind. It's a useful servant, but we're designed for whole field perception. We're designed to receive input from every atom every molecule in the universe continuously 
and to live out of awareness of that rather than be hypnotized into the nine-bit mind, which is basically what the educational, so-called educational system tries to do and what the world tries to do, what kings try to do, force people into a nine-bit mind, then control what stimulates information into the nine-bit mind, and they'll live in that partial perception, and they'll be in pain. And sadly, when people are in pain, they make war on other people and they kill people. And they do crazy things. They, they destroy relationships. They destroy businesses. They destroy children. It's just, you know, it just goes on and on and on. So that's a, that's a powerful way to say it. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that. And uh, thank you, Guy Finley, for being out there, doing, uh, doing the work alongside. It's nice to have the opportunity to be alongside him doing it as well. Well, it, it's a, a special pleasure of mine to see the overlaps, the synchronicities, and that sometimes the literal phrasing be so similar, if not identical. And just to capture these truths from these different perspectives helps me understand what I'm experiencing in life more when I get stuck and when I dismantle the stuckness. Technical term there, dismantling the stuckness. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll register that one in your name. <laughs> but but that's that's it. I mean, as as Jeannie and I were sitting watching last night, uh, Papa Hemingway. I mean, you look at this guy who's world renowned genius, and he's so stuck. In his when he's in stress, and his stress usually is accompanied by alcohol, and he's like, you know, he's proud of it. He goes to a bar and he sits and he's like, I don't know whether it's martinis he's drinking, and the guy that's with him says, well, how many is that? So that's seven, and he's stacking the glasses up. He says, you keep track. He says, yeah, I'm hoping tonight to beat my record, and my record's 18, and he just sits there and I mean, here's a genius who had no tools to get out of his stuckness of self-deprecation and, you know, destroyed himself. It's, it's just like it's, it's mind-boggling when you recognize that these tools have been around on the planet for centuries. And intelligence, I mean, I consider myself, as we've you know, often said on the show, I consider myself so blessed and so lucky. It's got nothing to do with intelligence, whether you find the tools or not. I'm not sure exactly what it is that takes someone to it and someone else doesn't go to it. But, you know, I I just feel so honored and blessed that I got to be exposed to the tools and then was kind of forced by the universe in a sense. It It wasn't all choice that has me doing this work. I was kind of pushed by the universe to it. But that I was pushed to do this, as a way to my, wake my way, make my way in the world is, is such an honor and such a blessing that I never could have conceived when I first started and, and in some cases kind of resisted. Well, I have the same experience that it's uh, – I had a period in my life where I used to think, wow, I can't believe I didn't know this before and I wish that I had come across this sooner – And then a little bit farther along my path, I realized that it's all in this divine timing. And if I had come across some of these things earlier, I would have rejected them out of hand because I simply didn't have any way to comprehend 
the brain cells, or I was so stuck in my sense of ego and my my sense of what I thought my image should be that I wouldn't have let myself entertain these kinds of dynamics or thoughts. So I'm I'm glad to be in the position now where I more often understand that it's all unfolding in a way that I could never have imagined and that I'm just grateful for what I have when I have it. I hear you loud and clear. Anything exciting happening in your practice uh, that uh, can maybe point us in a direction of uh, of a principle that we might expound on or look at in particular today? Well, this is this is the one that I was hoping to to be a guiding principle. So, so many times I'm working with people and they're agitated, and they're angry, and they're scared, and they're feeling stuck, and the way Guy Finley talked about it in this quote, I can go back and I can see how what I'm doing is actually trying to help them see a bigger picture. What I'm doing so often that helps them get into motion and and reconnect with their true nature as love is help them release a focus on one or two little bits of information that they're using to create a fearful picture of the the future and help them see the bigger picture, which always includes strength and resilience and resources that they're not paying attention to when they're in their upset. And that's that's been a theme for the past couple of days in my sessions with people, and that's part of why I brought that up today from the Guy Finley quote. What that makes me think of, Dr. Tim, is... Um you know, I often use the reference of blinders on a horse, and when those blinders are on, all it can see is what's just right in front of it, and that's it. And it's stuck in going where the you know master leads or whatever, and it can't see what's on either side of it. And that's how we are when we're in either hostility or fear. Those are like blinders, and you know our solution may be right beside of us on our shoulder or whatever but we can't see it because that fear or hostility is has us blinded to the potential and all we can see is the issue which is just right in front of us and so that's what I thought of when I heard you say that so yeah I think that's a, a excellent topic and and I have been emailing this gentleman and and it's going to fit in perfect once he joins us with what's going on for him and you know feeling I'll just without giving away what he's going to talk about, a pattern, you know, from the time of being a child and and raised and being stuck in a belief system and not realizing that there's a way out. You know, it's like he asked me the same question two or three times, maybe a little bit different, worded a little bit different, but, um, you know, it's like he couldn't hear the answer even because he was so stuck with his question. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. but um, So he's supposed to call in today because I told him it was perfect that it would fit for everybody you know, in the audience to hear that. Uh, it makes really good awesome. sense to me. The blinders analogy certainly fits. Well, and, you know, we could actually come up with, a from, from this conversation, a new definition of healing. And that is that healing is enlarging perception. In the last analysis, that's, that's the bottom line of, of healing. And 
what the reason why that produces healing on every level, including physical, is because it shifts and changes what's governing, what frequencies, literally what energies are governing the energy system. So that's a, a, a nice, a, a nice for me, new piece of the puzzle that uh, that gives another way to talk about it. And that when perception shifts to a larger picture, the whole energy system has to shift. How cool is that? And I just thought of something else, too. I don't know how many people have heard or watched the movie. It's an older movie called um, uh, At First Sight. And it's a gentleman who's blind. And, you know, he's comfortable with, you know, he's a, a massage therapist and he's comfortable with finding his way around, you know. I mean, he, he doesn't have a cane. This one woman, she comes to him to get a massage and she doesn't realize that he's blind even because he's just so comfortable in his surroundings and, and knows where the tables and chairs and things are and he can move around and, and do his job. And, you know, he kn- knows what an apple feels like and tastes like and whatever. And she kind of, falls for him and once she finds out he's blind she's determined to get you know whatever surgery or whatever he needs to get his sight back and once he does get his sight back it's so overwhelming all the visual stimulus and all the things that he wasn't used to that he didn't know was right there I mean he knew it in a different way he knew it with his sense of touch or feel or just you know kind of feeling the energy of the room, but not seeing it. And it was so overwhelming that it almost drove him crazy. And so I think a lot of people are like that. You know, they're used to a certain feel of life, even if it's a terrible feeling. And to see something different or to experience something different that they're not used to is, like, overwhelming. And they and so they want to avoid it and to go back to status quo instead of actually dealing with, you know, what's really there. And I kind of use that analogy as far as seeing potential as well as facing their fears. It's like a, a maybe a demon that they knew was there, but without seeing it, they could pretend like it wasn't. And then once it's in their face and they can't ignore it anymore, it's almost like overwhelmed. And so they would prefer to go back just like this gentleman. He preferred to go back to being blind. And uh, so that kind of just popped in my mind too. That's right on track. And, you know, in our, in our culture, we have um, words that describe people who, who aren't interested in a larger perspective. You know, we say, Oh, that person's so provincial, you know, and, and that comes from back in Rome and the people out in the provinces were considered to be kind of backward and, you know, not much knowledge. They were satisfied with their fear-based lives. And, and so if they were presented something, a bigger picture, the bigger picture was rejected. You look at every teaching. A lot of the religions live in that world. Oh, new information. No, no, we don't look at new information. We might get sidetracked and, and lose our way because we've got the way. And that person remains very provincial and remains cut off from healing and wholeness and moving to what what it's really all about so it's, a, it's just it's just an interesting way it all ties together very cool thanks for bringing it forward tim so our calling number is 646 200 4169 
There's a lot of people on the switchboard, but if you want to talk to us, you have to press 1, and that puts a little hand up, and I know that you want to talk instead of that you're just out there listening. And so it's a, getting close to time where our caller may call in, but in the meantime, we've got time. I know there's a few days people wait until the last 10 minutes, and there's three or four people pop in, and we get to one and don't get to the others. And so if you're one of those people, press it now instead of waiting until the end of the show. Oh, got a hand up. Awesome. Let's say hello. Three six, you're on the air. Hi, Jeanette. Hi, Mike. So Myers, how you doing? Awesome. How are you? Who do we have? Uh, Phil. Awesome. Hey, I just Phil, announced that it was about time for you to call in, and we were. Yep. I think what you're going to share is going to just lead right into what we've been talking about. Delighted to yeah, hear I your can't. voice. Delighted to meet you, Phil. Uh, you too. Thank you so much. All right. So, um, well, where do you want me to start? Well, well how can we support you? What, what's your question and where are we heading? Okay. So, well, the basic question that I had, I listened to your show the other day, and the uh, things that hit me really well were uh, letting go of goals and your power person. And so I've really got a uh, strong grasp of who my power people are. They're actually my dad and my brother. Uh, And uh, what that has led is uh, there's a huge awakening of this whole thing, actually. Basically, what I found out and what I found out was uh, my dad would pretty much make me feel like an idiot. When I was a kid, oh, you're doing this wrong. Oh, that's that's how uh, your mother taught you all that wrong. You're doing this, you're doing this all wrong. You're basically making me feel like a uh, an idiot and stupid. I mean, you're talking about a kid between zero and six years old, where all the programming happens. So I mean, getting that a lot. And then I had a brother who was 11 years older than me, who emulated our dad. Uh, thought he was uh, greatest thing since sliced bread. Obviously, going to be mirroring everything that dad does. So he then came behind dad and then kicked me when I was down, triggering the triggers even more to get a rise out of his little brother because it was funny. So, what an uh, opportunity to learn forgiveness. Exactly. So, uh, what has, so after listening, I've realized what this power person is. And then in my, in my practice life, uh, being a healer and an energy worker, and what I do, uh, helping people through all this stuff, amazing work, one-on-one, totally good. But when it comes to my business and personal life, I'm a complete and utter train wreck. Because uh, basically what I'm finding out is I had this underlying thought process of, oh, you'll never do it right. You're stupid. You're never going to get it right. And uh, no matter how hard you try, it's going to escape it. So obviously, um, in my goals and in my expectations of business and uh, everything like that, it never seems to come through the fruition where I'm struggling within my relationships with my wife and our family and all this other stuff. And then the stress is so high. And what really got me is when you said, when the stress is really high, tell me if I'm wrong, that you basically do what the power person does did to you to everybody else. 
And so and that, that is, seems you, to be... You do what your power person did that you hated the most. You hated the most, yeah. So you, it seems to you be... You do the doing thing that it. had the most, yeah, the most energetic impact on you. Which yeah. It sounds like self-deprecation and then passing that on to uh, to others. Yeah. So... Actually, now I... You might go ahead. You might go armed with the tools. And I was talking. I don't know if you heard the first part of the show at all. I take it you were the client, so you weren't able to. Yeah. But if you get a chance, go back to the archives. And we talked about a film that Jeannie and I just went and saw, uh, which is called Papa Hemingway. It's just come out in the theaters, and you'll see the end result of exactly what you're talking about. Only having it on the screen, I think, will give you a space to breathe, to watch how it impacts a life. And then in this case, you see Ernest Hemingway. I mean, the guy's world-renowned intellectual, uh, Nobel Prize in, in literature, just, you know, everywhere he goes, nobody will leave him alone. And yet in his own mind, he's exactly what you're describing as the messages you got from your power person. So we can see in his life how, and especially when he gets some alcohol going, he's just talking about himself as a piece of, you know, fill in the expletive. And (laughs) that's what he believes about himself. And, and so in his professional life, he's a star, but when it comes to his file on himself in his own mind, he's garbage. And that's where the healing is. And I think, you know, sitting watching that film, it's it kind of it's kind of like a vicarious atonement kind of thing. You can sit back, breathe, and watch those things unfold, and it'll probably surface all sorts of things for you. And as you breathe, and as you remember to just, you know, just keep canceling goals as as those things pop, you'll do a, pro- a lot of process work just sitting watching yourself on the screen go through exactly what Ernest Hemingway went through. So when you're talking about canceling the goals, um, how does that, um, how does, what's that look like? Well, uh, I, I use an example. You know, I'm going to invite you to imagine that <clears throat> about two and a half feet in front of your face, and anybody else who you know, isn't sure about how this canceling goal thing works, I'm going to ask you to imagine there's a red rubber ball, a hand-sized red rubber ball, and I'm going to ask you to reach out and grab a hold of it. Okay, okay. got it? Okay, so notice that you did a behavior, and you did a behavior because I invited you to set a goal, and you set a goal. If I would invited you to reach for the ball and you said, no, I'm not going to do it, you wouldn't be holding the imaginary ball right now. Correct. It wasn't until you set the goal that your perceptual system went into motion and showed you what to do to achieve that goal. All behavior, all behavior is driven by goals. So if I'm doing a behavior that relates to me, i.e. self-deprecation, there's a goal involved. Now let's do the next step. Imagine you can let go of the ball. Imagine once again the red rubber ball is there about two feet in front of your face, two and a half feet in front of your face. And this time we're going to invite you to reach out to take a hold of it. And when your hand gets about halfway there, cancel the goal to reach for the ball. Okay. Notice your behavior changed. 
behavior being, mm-hmm. in this case, the action of muscles. So the minute you set the goal, there's something you – now, you know, even though you're a doctor and you know all about the body, I guarantee you can't tell me how to raise your hand. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, do I know what brain cells has to fi- have to fire at what voltages, what, what nerve pathways, what balance and counterbalance? I don't have a clue how to raise my hand. But I set the goal and something carries forward in me. Something takes instructions. Exactly. When I cancel the goal, when I cancel the goal, what happens is the perception that drives the behavior collapses. Now, where the power of that is, so, so that's the how to cancel the goal. And then when you recognize if I'm doing a behavior, for instance, of self-deprecation or I'm in stress with my, uh, my spouse and I'm ready to pop my cork, the reason I'm ready to pop my cork is because I have a goal for my spouse to do something. And if she's not doing it, my stress goes up because of my goal and the content of my mind. When I cancel my goal for my spouse to do that thing, and the more specifically I look at the goal, the more powerfully I'll be able to drop into what underlies the part of my mind that wants to pop its cork. So the way I drop into the hidden part of the mind is by canceling the goal that's driving the behavior prompts right now, and I get to see what's under the behavior prompts. Otherwise, I only ever see the surface mind, and the rest of that stuff remains hidden. You'll note in the worksheet process that before you go into the actual canceling of the goal, you set love Mm -hmm. in your mind. Because it's when the active presence of love is there and we access that underlying material that we start to shift things in the mind. uh, There's another scene in um, Papa Hemingway that's very powerful. And, you know, his father had committed suicide and ultimately, and this isn't giving away in the film, this isn't part of the film, but 18 months after the story in the film finishes, in fact, Ernest Hemingway took a shotgun and blew his head off. But there's a scene in the film where, where he's, yeah, I mean, this guy's world-renowned. He's got everything to live for, but he uses alcohol to keep anesthetizing himself and ultimately kills himself. But there's a scene where he's, he's in this conversation. He's been drinking, and he's in this conversation about what a piece of garbage he is, and he's going to end his life. He's like, I have no value. I'm not worth anything. I mean, he's just repeating his whole power person message. And he's fighting with someone to get the gun back they get the they wrestle the gun from him and uh, he's fighting to get it because he's going to blow his head off and i won't i won't give it away but it's a scene where the active presence of love comes in and changes the game and to recognize that that's the key to all healing now unfortunately in Ernest, ernest hemingway's case it changed his behavior in that particular scenario, but because he had no methodology for continuously bringing in the active presence of love, it seems had no awareness that that was even possible and had no methodology for accessing the underlying parts of his mind. 18 months later, he's committed suicide. If, at that point, somebody could have stepped into, and you know, as you see the film, just, just imagine everything freeze-framing, 
And somebody coming into the space and saying to Ernest Hemingway, saying to his wife, saying to the others that were in the room. Now, folks, notice the trauma that this man is in to the point where he's ready to take his life. And notice that he dropped the gun and he walked in the other room. And by the way, this is a stage in his life where he's got writer's block. He can't write. He walks out of the room right after this happened and he starts to write again. If somebody could have broken into that man's life and said, sir, this is the power of the active presence of love. Notice you haven't been able to write. I don't know what the time period was. It looks like maybe it was years that he was blocked. He'd stand at the typewriter and he'd try and he'd try and he'd try and he couldn't get a sentence out. But he goes from this scene where the active presence of love shows up and he instantly begins to write. He drops his suicidal thoughts and, and it's the core of, of all healing. And just if, if, if somebody could have stepped in, Ernest Hemingway very likely would have still been alive. He'd be in what they would call an old man, but chances are he'd still be alive instead of, you know, 18 months later ending his life. So bringing that presence of love in, canceling the goal that drives the underlying hostilities, fears, and power person messages gives us access to those messages in the presence of love, and that's when they begin to dissolve. And over time, they simply disappear from life. They just, they're gone. They're finished. You know, you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and he says, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. In Aramaic, you are your own neighbor. So here's Hemingway talking about his neighbor himself and what a piece of garbage he is and how worthless he is and how he doesn't need to live because he has no contribution to make. So he's got all of these projections into his brain's image of himself and if he could have heard Yeshua at that moment say forgive that remove that from your unconscious you know that that whole concept we couldn't even start to comprehend in the western world for almost 2,000 years because nobody had an idea of the unconscious mind it was fully understood in the Aramaic in Yeshua's original teachings, but nobody had such a concept. Freud rediscovered it just decades ago, and now we can understand that what he was saying is you must remove from your unconscious that which you are putting into your perceptual image of yourself. And if you do that, you'll be freed of it. And that canceling of the goal, it just, it's like when you see it in action and you experience it, the genius of it's amazing that Yeshua 2,000 years ago presented that piece of information and then it was lost and that we've been blessed to pick it up and find it again to me is absolutely amazing. But when you see it in action, it is just awesome. And if somebody could have stepped into Hemingway and said, now that's what healing looks like, my friend, then he could have processed through all of the things that drove his behavior to the point where he killed himself and could have created a whole, I mean, who knows what other gifts we'd have had from Hemingway if he'd been able to do that besides so the old man in the sea. So canceling the goal by itself doesn't do anything if the act of presence love isn't precepted before it. Correct. That's it. Well, well, canceling the goal gives you access, but access is not healing. Access in the presence of love is healing. If I approach the hostility and fear-based parts of my mind with my old hostility and fear-based mind, I'm going to tend to just reinforce it. 
Yeah. So when I'm in the practice, and that's part of the practice of this work, is bringing love, conscious, active, and present into our experience. And so when I do that and cancel the goal, I now bring the pained part of my mind that needs healing to the whole part of my mind that has always been whole and well. The truth about me is that I'm the same as everybody else. I am, in essence, the active presence of love. Our culture has just, you know, kind of shoved that out of people's awareness. What we're looking to do is to invite people to make it a practice to bring that presence of love forward and to spend time in relationship with others in that practice. That's what our intensives are really about, is spending time with others in that practice of bringing love forward and then having the support of being able to see past our own blockages and moving through those dynamics. Okay. I, I, I get where I was. Uh, okay, not working it. Okay. So and just doing it. There are two places you can go on the website to get a reinforcement of that. If you, uh, if you go to whyagain.org, and mm-hmm. on the right-hand side, you'll see all the uh, social media links. The bottom link is a, our YouTube channel, if you click on that. And then there are two videos in particular that will just um, lay this whole thing out with a visual. We can only talk about it on the show. We don't have a, a camera with us. But, uh, but there are two uh, videos in particular that will reinforce this whole understanding. The first one is titled PowerPoint, and you'll see a thumbnail picture of my book. It's a blue cover with red writing on it. So there's a thumbnail. It's small, but that's the way to identify the list. Unfortunately, we can't order the list of our YouTube uh, videos. They just end up, they just happen to be where they are. So if you look for the cover of the book, there's a 24-minute PowerPoint presentation that takes you right through the mechanics of the mind and how forgiveness works from the first century Aramaic. And then there's a second video that we just posted a few days ago. Anybody who hasn't watched it, I think it's one of the best short-form pieces of work that I've done to date. It's only 38 minutes. And it's um, it has a picture of the world, like you're, you're seeing a shot from space. That's the thumbnail. And it's titled ACIM dash What is the World? What is Forgiveness? And that'll give you another perspective, another picture on the whole process of forgiveness from the Aramaic. Awesome. I'll go watch those soon. Yeah. And if you go back to D.D. Palmer, uh, you being a chiropractor, I used to teach at Life uh, there in Atlanta. And um, if you go back to D.D. Palmer, I used to teach from The Adjuster, one of my favorite books in the world. And uh, he talks about, of course, the innate, that there is an innate power in us that if we invite it into activity, we'll clean up the mess. And mm-hmm. in, in Aramaic, you know, D.D. called it the uh, the innate and in Aramaic, it was called Rukutikutcha. In the uh, scriptural or the churches, it's been called the Holy Spirit. There is no concept in Aramaic of a disembodied spirit being. When Yeshua used the words that the Greek translations translate as the Holy Spirit, he used the words Rukutikutcha, and Rukutikutcha is a feminine elemental force in us that when invited into activity undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. Just right on track with D.D. Palmer, right on track with D.D. Palmer and the innate, and the whole idea, you know, of chiropractic and why it's so powerful is 
It's setting loose the innate. It's opening the flow of, in Aramaic, Ruku Takucha, which is what creates all of the healing that there is. I mean, you and I don't know how to heal anything, but there sure is a power in us if we know how to set her loose. And in Aramaic, it's clearly a feminine elemental force that we're setting loose. We set it loose by invitation. One of the things that happens in your profession is you set it loose by opening the space for the flow of energy through those uh, those nerve pathways. And so I just want to make from from our standpoint that uh, that's not the active presence of love. The active presence of love utilizes that energy to flow through the body. Correct. Well, in fact, in fact, in Aramaic, if you if you go to the uh, the creation story where it says God sent out his spirit. It doesn't say that. It says God sent out his breath. And it is the breath and the energy that accompanies the breath. And it is literally an aspect of the active presence of love. Yes, it is one and the same as the active presence of love. Okay. And in Aramaic, it's she who undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. Anything we need to learn, if we invite it into activity, now we've got free will. That free will will never be interfered with. And when we invite her into activity, she'll start to shift and change our perception and give us access to information that before was blocked. Now, it's interesting how the Greeks translated, and the Greek translations of the scriptures always end up inspiring fear in people, or at least attempting to do that. So you hear them talking about this elemental force, Ruka Dukudja, and they say that denial or blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. Yeah. And, you know, what, what a way to traumatize people. That's a totally false translation. It doesn't say that at all. It says the denial or speaking against blaspheming, the elemental force that can heal you leaves you without access to forgiveness. And forgiveness is the removal of what's impinging on the system. Forgiveness is the removal of what doesn't belong. And we've got free will. If we put something in there that impinges on the system, that power is not going to take it from us unless we invite it into activity. So the denial of it leaves us unable to process those massive levels of energy that sometimes have built up over 100 generations or more, the patterns of the generations. Yeah, it's been a quite interesting journey deprogramming myself from the teachings of uh, of religion that I grew up with. Well, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's always the interpretation of the individual, but the the fact is, you were given the brain cells that are necessary to understand, and all you need to do is a little rewiring and. All of that will be such a blessing and such an uplift when you get, you know, the, the pieces that, that individuals didn't understand. And, and unfortunately, if, if one, you know, if you look back in the, the ancient teachings, the idea of a priest was not someone who had magic powers and magic hands. And the idea of a priest was this was an individual who had done their own work and were able to stand as the active presence of love for whatever this individual is going through. In that sense, as a physician, 
you have the opportunity to be a priest, to be the active presence of love. This person comes to you, and they've got this back problem and this back pain, and when you get down to it and they touch into the rage that's stored there, and because you've resolved your rage, you can stand as the active presence of love. You're filling, fulfilling the actual function of a priest. That's what it was originally about. But, you know, doing your work and dealing with all those generations of pain and trauma and, you know, letting go of that – Hey, who needs to do, who wants to do that? Who wants to look at that depth? And so the idea, the original idea of the priest became degraded and it became some kind of guy with magical hands. And because somebody said magic words or he could do magic things. There's no magic to it. It's just when you get back to the basic brain cells and the basic teaching, it's just, here's how it works. If you go back to the Aramaic, yes, he was a physicist. He was a physiologist. He was a geneticist. He was a psychologist. He wasn't a theologian. And unfortunately, what was passed on oftentimes was degraded. But when you get back to the original, it's awesome. Tell me about it. Well, Jeannie was right. telling me about one of the questions you had about uh, about Yeshua and, and how half of his audience left. Uh, when when they asked him a question, and and the question they asked him basically was, well, how do I do what you're doing? How do I get to that? And we're told that he said, you've got to eat my body and drink my blood. And that's become interpreted as something to do with wafers and wine. Well, gee, half of his audience, when they hear that, say, that's a hard saying. I'm out of here. And they quit. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what's so hard about wafers and wine, if that's what he was talking about? But he wasn't talking about wafers and wine. That wasn't what he was saying. That wasn't what eat my body and drink my blood meant. It was an Aramaic idiom for, okay, you want to know how to do what I'm doing? Then you're going to have to do the work that I've done. You're going to have to give up your rage, your guilt, your grief, your fear, your hatred, your vengeance. You're going to have to work through all of that and live reclaim the active presence of love in you. And half his audience said, too much, that's too hard of hearing. I've got to do that, that work to do what you're doing. Now, I, I quit. I'm going to go back to the old way. I'm going to go back and rage at my neighbor and beat my children and, you know, you know, it's just, but it's been lost. I mean, and, and when you recover yeah. it, it's awesome. Hmm. Well, Good thank breath. You. Thank you. Yeah. That, that sounded like another layer of energy moving. <laughs> I have to keep it going all day long. But now, I, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. now, now that I have a little bit more of a, uh insight of utilizing the, the active presence of love connection to letting go of the goals and uh, keeping that in consciousness, so that would be helpful a lot. It's powerful. It's powerful. Let's see if Dr. Tim has anything to share with you. Tim, do you have anything to uh, to add to the conversation? Well, I just agree. The um, the practice is what it takes, the willingness and then the practice. And I, I like, you know, as I said earlier, I used to think, gee, I wish I'd known this earlier. And, and then I came to realize further along in the path that it's all unfolding as as I was able to take it in. So rather yeah. than spend my time bemoaning the fact that I didn't know this earlier or that I was raised Catholic and fed all of these negative and pejorative beliefs about myself. I'm just getting to the point now where I'm just 
embracing how it's all unfolding and just glad that I'm here and that I can take it in now. Awesome. Yay. Yay. Jeannie, I know you've been uh, carrying on a lot of conversations with Phil. Do you have anything to add to the conversation at this point? Any any new insight? I know, you, Phil, your questions for Jeannie have just been popping stuff for her. She's just like, <laughs> so excited. It's cool. It's great. It's cool. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Um, well, the only other thing that I would like to say, and this is also referring back to the movie of Hemingway, uh, his wife, you know, it's like when he would get in his stuff, of course, she got in her stuff, and it's perfect, you know, how we bounce off of other people. And there's one scene where she says, I swore I would never do what my mother's doing. And she says, and I hate it, and no matter what I do or how I try, I find myself doing what she did. And what she did was she would, you know, jump in and, and start belittling him in a way, which then was exactly what he was doing to himself. And so you had mentioned in one of your emails, and I think you started to allude to it a little bit earlier in the conversation on the show, that you catch yourself now doing the belittling or putting down to others, maybe in your family or whatever, that your dad did to you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you'll see that similarity there too. And so the forgiveness going inside and letting go of, you know, as a child we see our parents, which are usually the power persons, that this is what they did to win over me. And so that's like built into our carbon-based memory that that's what we have to do to win. And when we can catch ourselves going into that behavior and actually being able to stop ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to do something different. I choose to do something different instead of letting the carbon-based memory automatically run, and then we fall back into the power person dynamic. Well, and Jeannie, just to, to add another piece to that, and this is a little bit of a spoiler in the movie, but it's a very tiny one. It's interesting that she, she has that insight. You know, she's, she's sober. She's like, I, I never wanted to be like my mother. And, and I just, I don't know what happens. I just can't control myself. And then they're out drinking. And a very short time afterward, she's just puking the whole thing out on him one more time. Just exactly what you said. I never wanted to do that. And it's because of the stresses and, and you can see it very clearly. She's got goals for him that he's not fulfilling. And when her stress comes up, she's right back to her power person dynamic. And so when we can see the principle in action, and this is a powerful film to see these principles in action, that's when I can consciously, consistently, persistently use the tools to free myself of it. And we're down to the last few seconds. Just one more thought when they said to Yeshua, how many of these worksheets do we have to do? Is seven enough? In Aramaic, he replied, no, 77 times 70, which isn't the literal number. It's I'm going to do an infinite amount of work until I've handled all the responses that have been structured in my body-mind unit through the generations until I'm free of it and I can truly, truly act and function out of the presence of love. So that's what we're here to support. Phil, thanks for the conversation. I hope we'll continue. We'll look forward at some point getting to meet face-to-face, and I need to close the show out. So everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. 
We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. Thank you.